word and the great hope and glory of the resurrection. It's in the name of the risen Christ that we pray. Amen. I'd love for you to take your Bible out and turn to the book of 1 Corinthians. It's in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you did not bring a Bible with you, obviously you can use an app, but we also have uh, in front of you on the seat backs underneath uh, Bibles that are available, and you can take one of those out. And if you don't own a Bible, we would love for you to take one of those as our gift to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we are going to be kind of all over the map, but this is, this is the key section of Scripture that we will be going back to over and over again this morning. Uh, if you haven't been with us normally, we've been for about the last year and a half going through the book of Isaiah, and it has been a, a great, great journey together as a church. In the last two weeks, we've, we've hit the pause button so next week, we'll be jumping back into the book of Isaiah, and we're almost done, so we're, we're coming close to that. And the next book, the next series that we're going to go through after this is actually 1 Corinthians. We're going to walk through the whole uh, book together after that, so you're getting a little bit of a preview of where we're going to be uh, in, in that as well. But uh, 1 Corinthians 15, Resurrection Sunday known as Easter by uh, many people around the world, is the most important event in history, providing evidence, complete evidence, that Jesus is who He claimed to be, the Son of God. The resurrection was not only just the supreme validation of His deity, but also validated all of the scriptures, all 365 prophecies that foretold of His coming and His resurrection and the fact that He is our Redeemer. It, uh, it, it caused a really well-known fact to be authenticated. Jesus claimed something, and that's what we celebrate on Resurrection Sunday. He claimed what? He claimed that he would be raised on the third day. He claimed that. You look that up in John 2 and Mark 8 and Mark 9 and Mark 10. And Paul here in 1 Corinthians simply lets us know if, if Christ was not resurrected, we have no hope. And that's verses 13 and 16. We'll look at those in just a moment. So, in, in fact, apart from Christ's bodily resurrection, if, if that's not there, everyone, we have no Savior. We have no salvation. We have no hope of eternal life. As Paul says there, our faith would be useless and the life-giving power of the gospel would be completely eliminated. Because our eternal destinies ride on the truth of this historical event, listen to me on this, the resurrection has been the target of Satan's greatest attacks on the church. Accordingly, the, the history of Christ's bodily resurrection has been examined and investigated 
from every single angle possible, studied endlessly by countless scholars, theologians, professors uh, over the centuries. We've had plenty of time to take a look at this. And even though a number of theories, many, many theories, are postulated that attempt to disprove this event, no credible historical evidence exists which validates anything other than his literal bodily resurrection. Now, on the other hand, there's still people that don't believe, right? And maybe that's the camp that you're in this morning. I would like to share with you a story, true story, It's a gentleman by the name of Lionel Luckhoe. Now, most of you probably have never heard of this guy before. He actually holds the world record of 245 consecutive defense murder trial acquittals. Now, that's pretty amazing. So did you catch what I said there? Not not getting them in prison, but acquittals. 245 murder defense acquittals in a row. I would like that guy as my lawyer. (laughs) He was also a Christian. And he had this enthusiasm and this confidence that you could imagine from a prosecutor, not a prosecutor, a defender of murder suspects, he was an adamant, adamant defender of Christ and the resurrection. And he said this, once again, 245 defense acquittals in a row. He said this, I have spent more than 42 years as a defense trial lawyer, appearing in many parts of the world, and I'm still active in practice. I have been fortunate to secure a number of successes. Yeah, 245 in a row. A number of successes in jury trials, and I say unequivocally, the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so overwhelming that it compels acceptance by proof, which leaves absolutely no room for doubt. But Christians today are still attacked for believing in a literal resurrection. Christians back in Paul's day, were attacked for the very same thing. Why is it important then? Why is the resurrection important? Couldn't his resurrection just been spiritual, as some people argue? How about this? How does the resurrection of Jesus Christ guarantee the bodily resurrection of believers? You know, how does that 
really make any sense at all. The answers to all of those things are found actually in the 15th chapter of Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth, a church that he established several years earlier during his second missionary journey. And obviously people had come in and done the same thing that people do today. Uh, it's just a bunch of myths. You don't, it's not really true. There's no way he could have literally been risen from the dead. Maybe spiritual resurrection, but nothing better. And Paul says to all of them, phooey. That doesn't work. And he reminds them that once again, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most important event in history. It, there's a reason this is the Holy Week and it ends with the resurrection. It gives hope to millions. And let me share with you in a rapid fire way, you see an outline there in your bulletin, a rapid-fire way this morning, what the meaning of the resurrection of Jesus Christ really is for all of us. First of all, the resurrection of Jesus Christ means that believers are justified before God. Romans 4.25, He who was delivered over on account of our transgressions and was raised on account of our justification. Justification means to be put right with. Because of our sin, everyone in this room will admit that they have sinned, that they are not perfect, that you've blown it. Because of that, we cannot have a right relationship with God if it's really true that He's perfect, and it is true that He is perfect. Scripture then calls us objects of wrath because God has to exert His wrath on those that break His law. We see that in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3. And as John Calvin says, then justification, and I want you to picture this. I think Calvin does a really good job explaining this in all of like seven words. Justification is the main hinge on which salvation turns. The door is open back to God through Christ. Without someone stepping in to correct the situation, we cannot have that relationship with God that He intended. In the death of Jesus on the cross, God put our punishment on Christ so that we would be justified before Him. The resurrection of Jesus confirms that God accepted Christ's sacrifice for sin on the cross, gives us access to a right relationship with Him. Praise God. So we see that first reason there. We are justified before God through the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus Christ shows that Jesus defeated death. Secondly, death is the enemy, isn't it? Man, it is a huge, huge industry to try to avoid what? Death. And death is the enemy of mankind, the just punishment for sin. Romans 6.23 says that, For the wages of sin is death, but the gracious gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Christ rose from the dead because death could no longer hold him down. In Acts 2 verse 24, we, we 
no longer have to fear death because Christ has triumphed over it. That's what led Paul to write these words in 1 Corinthians 15. If you jump towards the end of the chapter there in verses 55 through 57, he says, Oh, death. What does he say? Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Now the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through what? Our Lord Jesus Christ. goes back to justification and that hinge. Third, the resurrection of Jesus is so important. Why? Because it means that believers are united with Christ. When we believe in Christ, we are united in faith with Him. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 14, knowing that He who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. Union with Christ means that that when God looks at us, He does not see our unrighteousness, but the righteousness of Christ. Isn't that a good thing? It means that we have died with Him, and we also live with Him. We have died with Christ. We are risen in Him. Romans 6, 8. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. That union is made possible by the resurrection of Christ, similar to when a, a couple is united in marriage. And one spouse's belongings become the shared possession of the new spouse. Believers receive the possessions of Christ. What is that? His righteousness. We receive the righteousness of Christ because of our union with Him. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, but, but by His doing you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. We are now able to walk in newness of life because we are bound to Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. Romans 6, 4, Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Why, why do we baptize people? Why, why do we do that? It's, it's an outward symbol of what's happened in the union with Christ in our lives. I've been buried in Him, and I'm raised to walk a new life in Him. I am, I am dipped underwater and cleansed. It's what the symbolic nature is. And I come out new. That's why baptism for us is the wedding ring of faith. It lets everyone know I'm all in. I am united with Christ. Fourth, the resurrection of Jesus Christ confirms the truth of Scripture. You may not know this, but there's even prophecy about the resurrection of Christ in the book 
of Job. Now, most people think about the book of Job, and they think, man, that's a crazy story, and it's really interesting, and it would stink to be Job, and then it would not stink to be Job. But isn't that true? It stinks to not know Christ, but it's amazing to know Him. And in the book of Job, in verse nine, or chapter 19, it says this, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last He will stand upon the earth. See, it confirms the truth of Scripture in the book of Isaiah that we've been going through in chapter 53. Verse 10, but Yahweh was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If you would place his soul as a guilt offering, he will see his seed and he will prolong his days and the good pleasure of Yahweh will succeed in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, we will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide for him a portion with the many, and he will divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Yet, he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. His resurrection confirms all of this. Psalm 16, verse 10. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures, further, uh, pleasures furthermore. How is that possible? Through Christ and His resurrection. And so we see that it confirms the truth of Scripture and all of Scripture, everyone, all of Scripture is a red ribbon from Genesis through the end of Revelation, a red ribbon of the picture of Christ and our need for Him in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, what He's done for us, and in the book of Revelation, Him returning. Oh, what a day that's going to be. And so the resurrection of Christ proves the gospel truth of Scripture. It also proves the gospel itself to be true. Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 14, And if Christ has not been raised, we, we mentioned this earlier, then our preaching is what? In vain. And he also says, your faith also is in vain. It goes on in verse 17 here, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, you are still in your sins, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are all of men most to be pitied. The resurrection is not just a fundamental part of the gospel, but it is the glue that holds every part of the gospel together. Paul's saying that. Paul's saying if this thing's not true, the gospel's not true. It's just not true. That's an interesting thing. Most sacred books of many different faiths share nothing 
about, uh, you know, if this is not true, this is, this is really bad. Do you guys know that? And you're not going to go into any other faith's book and read that it hinges all on a person. See, every other faith is about trying to work your way to God. And what Paul is saying, it's all on Jesus. You know, when Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, that only gains its power through the fact that He died for us and rose again. That's what Paul's letting us know. It's the fundamental part of the gospel. J.C. Ryle said it this way, Let us cling firmly to the resurrection of Christ as one of the pillars of the gospel. It ought to produce in our minds a settled conviction of the truth of Christianity. Are you settled in your faith? That's what J.C. Ryle is saying here on his thoughts on the gospel. Our faith does not depend merely on a set of texts and doctrines. It is founded on a mighty historical fact that the skeptic has never been able to overturn. It ought to assure us of the certainty of the resurrection of our own bodies after death. If our master, listen what he said here, if our master has risen from the grave, we need not doubt that his disciples shall rise again at the last day. The resurrection of Christ proves the gospel to be true. The resurrection of Christ proves that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus' unique claims about himself wouldn't matter if he remained in the grave, right? In fact, he'd be like the billions who have gone before him and after him. You just die. But Jesus did rise from the dead, and his resurrection proves a unique status as the Son of God. Romans 1.4 who was designated as the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, who? Jesus Christ our Lord. So it it proves that Jesus is the Son of God. It also proves, it means that God the Father gives the Holy Spirit then to believers in Acts 2.33, therefore having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this which you both see and hear. You see, after Christ had risen and ascended, he sent the promised Holy Spirit to continue his work on earth. This means that Christ's earthly ministry continues, guess what? Today. It is active. in the people he dwells in, in the Holy Spirit. This means that Christ helps his people by the Spirit. Christ strengthens you today. Christ convicts you today. Guiding John Owen said it this way, the receiving of these promises by faith makes a wonderful change upon sinners. For 
so soon as a sinner gets grace to believe and apply the free promises of the covenant, as soon does the Lord begins to make out upon his heart the things promised, so stamping it with his own image that the sinner receiving these promises begins presently to look like God, his Father. And in some weak measure to resemble him in heavenly wisdom, holiness, uprightness, and other of his communicable properties, especially in humility, self-denial, love and pity towards other miserable sinners, zeal for the Lord's honor, and such other perfections as were imminent in the man Christ. This is what it means to partake in the divine nature. So he justifies, and as Owen is getting here, he sanctifies. When you accept Christ, you are stamped as his. And that means that we change. We live a different life. We don't look like the rest of the world. We look like who now? Jesus. And that's through the power of the Holy Spirit guiding us and convicting us and, and training us. And I'd be remiss to not mention that fact that the resurrection gives Christians a living hope. It's so sad to see so many people putting their hope in just really bizarre things. But it's all in an effort to fill the hole that is in people's lives when God is not present in their life, when there's not that justification, that relationship back. People strive for everything and try to fill that hole with everything. But he gives those who are Christians, believers, a living hope. First Peter chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to what? A living hope through what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To obtain an inheritance. And boy, it's a... It's Peter says here, it's a fun inheritance. It's incorruptible. It's undefiled. And it's unfading. Having been kept in heaven for you. A living hope. Being forgiven of sin, justified before God gives us hope. Christians are changed from being an enemy of God, bound for hell, to being a forgiven child of God with an eternal hope and an eternal inheritance in heaven that can never be taken away. You know, what, what could be better news than that? I know everyone in this room knows a guy by the name of Edward Moat. Okay, I didn't know him either. 
But there was a song that popped in my head this week, and usually during this time of year, it's one of those songs, if you've been a Christian for a while and you've gone to church for a while, it's a song that's been sung many, 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 many years, and the song popped in my head, and, and if you've been around me at all, you, you know, I, I like kind of researching where songs come from. It's why we don't sing some songs these days, because I don't like where they come from, because they don't come from a good holy, justified place. But then there's some songs that are like, man, those words are incredible. Where'd that come from? A guy named Edward Moat. Oh, yes, a common name. He was walking to work one day in 1834. I thought he would drive a car, but 1834, I guess that wasn't possible. He's walking to work, and a thought popped into his head. This is what he wrote in his book. A thought popped into my head to write a hymn on the gracious experience of a Christian. And he said, as I walked up the road, I had written the chorus, and by the end of the day, I had the first four verses written out and safely tucked away in my pocket. I mean, some of you guys may be, you know, budding musicians in here, and you may have a hymn or two stuck in, stuck in your pocket. I don't know. I know I don't, but maybe you do. But later that week, he visited a friend whose wife was very ill. And you can picture this. And they couldn't find a hymnal to sing from. He was like, hey, I, I got this. I got the song I wrote in my pocket. And they're like, okay. So he pulls it out, and he dug up the four verses and sang to the couple, and they joined in with him. The wife enjoyed it so much she asked for a copy. So it must have been pretty good. This little song, dug out of his pocket, I'll read the last two of the verses, and then the chorus. You may know it. Please do not sing. <laughs> My hope is built on nothing less. I can't even do it. Than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I, I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Could you imagine being in the room? First time? The guy's singing this, just try to sing with me. When he shall come with trumpet sound, O may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. And the wife that was dying was like, you, you probably should publish that. <laughs> I'm not making this up. And so he went out, found a publisher, and they made 10,000 copies of it the next week. And it's a song that is sung even here today. But it's a song about hope, right? 
That, that song doesn't come from a place of despair. That song comes from a place of hope. And that hope is from Christ and the resurrection. And that hope is from the fact, as number nine says there, that we will be then raised like Him. See, Christ is described as the first fruits of the resurrection from the dead, meaning that His resurrection is a precursor to the resurrection that all of us as believers will experience. Dive back into 1 Corinthians 15. Go over to verse 21. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. Believers in Jesus Christ enjoy resurrection life just like Christ did. Glorified bodies, raised in power. You jump down to verse 42. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a corruptible body. It is raised an incorruptible body. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Yes, we may suffer in this life pains and illnesses, but we do not suffer in the life to come. All earthly suffering has an expiration date, but the pleasures of heaven never end. And that leads us to our last, our last point. The resurrection of Jesus Christ means that Christ will judge the world in righteousness. Acts 17, verse 30. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now commanding men that everyone everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world. In righteousness, he will judge through a man whom he determined, having furnished proof to all how by raising him from the dead. Every person who has ever lived on this planet will be held accountable to God for what they have done. If you are an unbeliever, you will be held accountable for breaking God's law and you do not have the justification by faith through Christ to be in his presence and you are condemned to hell. This is why this is important. You see, there's a reason why we sing, though the wicked never yield, they will vanish like a breath. But see, as a believer, I know my outcome is sure in a different way. Because I know Satan's evil plans are going to fail. But in Christ's power and the power of resurrection, I'm secure. God does hold believers accountable for their works. But you know what that's all about? Rewards. You can't work your way into heaven. 
but you certainly will be rewarded for living for him. You know, so many people in our world are afraid. Afraid of the future, afraid of what's going to happen to them, afraid of death. They will try everything possible to stay alive. And then what's sad is some people will try everything possible to just die. Because one group has no hope and the other group has no hope. And they're kind of, they're hoping for hope. They can't find it, and the other groups said, forget it, I'm done. The gospel says there is another way. There's only one way. There's only one path to eternal life. Jesus Christ says this to us today, as he said in John chapter 11, verse 25 and 26, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. So if you're looking for life, if you're looking for a reason to live, what does Jesus say? Jesus says, I'm I'm the reason to live. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die, ever. And then he asks this incredibly important question. Do you believe this? If you can answer yes to that question... All of the benefits of the resurrection are yours. If you don't yet believe, put your trust, your faith in Christ today. There is hope in Christ alone. We no longer have to fear death because Christ has triumphed over it. And once again, in 1 Corinthians 15, towards the end of the chapter there, that's why he writes, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Now the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Because we know while we wait, He returns to take us home. And while we're waiting, and as we read there, serving the Lord, here today and tomorrow, if that's according to His plan, we can say with all of our might, this resurrection, this resurrection of Jesus is a love I can't explain. 
It's a mercy that's unreserved. Though there's the sacrifice that's so great, when I accept it, I have a peace that's undeserved. As Paul says, the battle has been won. There's no fear of shame or loss. I know the outcome is sure. The sting of death is gone. Why? Because Jesus is my rock and is my redeemer. That is why the resurrection is important. Let's pray.